0: Hey, good morning, guys. Stronger than, stronger than. I encourage you to uh, check out the email that went out last night talking all about what we're doing here um, at kind of the staff, elder, leadership level at Mendham to be stronger than and stronger than. I need you to play your part, too. Um, Before we get started, I just, as I've looked about what, you know, how we're going to be stronger than, the key role I need all of you to play is to follow the command of of the writer of Hebrews, who said, do not forsake meeting together. It was Jesus who said, where two or or three of you are gathered in my name, and and that I think includes online, there I'll be in the midst. For us to be stronger then, when this is all over, it's going to mean that we are gonna have to each take on new levels of responsibility for staying in touch. So can I encourage you, number one, Set this hour aside every week. Sit down with your family and kids. Have breakfast together and, and, and be part of this online time. Encourage one another through the comments. Call one another. Um, that's gonna be your role. Small group leaders, figure out a way to get your group together on Zoom. My, one of my kids had their small group last night. All of them were on Zoom. Great job to uh, one of our elders, Eric Brohm, that led that group that you guys are really, that role of shepherding is bigger now than ever. And so that's what I'm calling each of you guys to. That's your job as we get going. This was a week, and that is maybe the biggest understatement of anything I've ever said to you guys. If, if you're anything like me, I've been on like this crazy emotional roller coaster all week. One minute I'm up, this too shall pass. You know what, it, everything's going to be fine. We got this. Give it a couple of weeks, everything's going to snap back. And then the next minute, I mean, I hate to admit it, but the next minute I can wind up in, a, in kind of a dark place. And you should know, even pastors, I mean, even pastors can get to those kind of moments of despair. And so that was starting to really bother me this week, how I was all over the, the map. And being locked up at home, and by the way, if it was bothering me, you should have seen what it was doing to my poor wife, who every day didn't know who she was going to be dealing with. Uh, was it happy-go-lucky John or negative John? I decided I got to figure out why my emotions are moving so quickly from, from moment to moment as all of this is going on, and I figured it out. Two things I read yesterday regarding our current situation, and, and I want you to track your emotions as I share them with you, okay? Here's the first one. Read both of these. The best case is that the virus mutates and actually dies out, said Dr. Larry Brilliant, which is kind of funny. That's a doctor's last name, Brilliant. He's an epidemiologist. He, was who, when he was a young doctor, was part of the fight to eradicate smallpox. He was a consultant for the movie Contagion. And he he wrote, only in movies do viruses seem to become worse. He goes on uh, to point out that SARS and MERS both, those were two other viral diseases, they both petered out, and that's quite possible here. Dr. Charles uh, Prober, a professor at Stanford, said, my hope is that COVID-19 simply won't survive. This article goes on. China on Thursday, and again on Friday, not a single new case of transmission, And while the West certainly can't can't copy all of those tactics, you do see in Singapore and Taiwan and South Korea and Hong Kong, they've also demonstrated that at least temporarily the virus can be controlled. Quote, the most important lesson is that this virus can be contained if people are responsible and adhere to certain simple principles, said Dr. Christopher Willis, a physician in Singapore. Stay calm. For most people, it's like the common cold. One encouraging sign is in Washington State, which had an early outbreak. The number of positive tests there appear to be stabilizing. The weather could help us. Some respiratory viruses decline in the summer from a combination of higher temperatures and not being huddled together. It's possible in the northern hemisphere nations will enjoy a summer break. That's what happened in the 1918 epidemic of the Spanish flu. The article goes on, another reason for optimism is that these antiviral medications we've been hearing about over the last couple of days, they may very well beat the coronavirus, and some of them are already in clinical trials. Even without treatment, it's likely this virus is less lethal than originally feared. In South Korea and China, about 0.8% of those known infected wind up dying. The rate was 0.6% on a cruise ship. Singapore had more than 200 cases of the virus and not a single death. Putting it all together, Dr. Tara Smith, an epidemiologist at Kent State, she said, I'm not pessimistic. I think this can work. She thinks it'll take about eight weeks of social distancing, and and it'll slow the virus. If the warm weather helps, if we can get the drugs, if we can get companies to produce more ventilators, we really have a a window to tamp this down. Oh, man, I read that, and I'm like, "Ah, life is good. But then... uh, An hour later, I I read Dr. Neil Ferguson, who's a British epidemiologist. He's regarded as the best disease model in the world. He produced a sophisticated model with a worst case that I don't even want to tell you about. He questions whether South Korea and other countries can sustain their success uh, until a vaccine is ready. In recent days, he says, you're starting to see some more cases in Singapore, Hong Kong, Taiwan. He goes, and the hope that the United States can emulate Singapore or South Korea, he goes, that's a leap. I read that and I thought, oh. You feel that? That difference? And and so, which one's true? What do you believe? Where do you look? What do you what do you believe when it's all so uncertain and scary? I've told you this many times, but it seems, I mean, it seems more poignant this morning than maybe on any morning. The number one saying of Jesus, the thing that he said more than any other saying or teaching was this, do not fear. Don't be afraid. In fact, the writers of the books of the Bible, by some scholars count, say that do not fear, do not be afraid is commanded 365 times, which if that's correct, that would make it about one time a day. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Great saying. Somebody quick, crochet on a pillow, tattoo it on a chest. The problem is that sayings and teachings are one thing. But actually, in a storm like this, in this kind of uncertainty, with these kinds of risks, not fearing, not being anxious, great saying how. Jesus talked to his guys, his disciples, about this topic a lot. He knew that they, like we, would also need more teaching, or excuse me, would need more than just teaching or words. And so Jesus took them on a couple of boat rides, put them into a couple of storms, because he knew he was going to need to get that teaching, that truth from their head down to their heart. Matthew, many of you know his story. He was once a tax collector. He was a traitor to his people. He was the sinner amongst sinners. Matthew, who Jesus chose to be his disciple anyway, Matthew records these boat rides and storms. Jesus had been out healing and teaching, and he, he tells us that then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, the furious storm wording sounds bad, but it doesn't really portray exactly what Matthew was trying to get across. In the Greek in which he wrote that, he chose to bypass the common words for spring shower or squall or cloudburst or downpour. They didn't capture what he felt and saw that night, a rumbling of the earth, a quivering shoreline. Matthew chose a different word. He chose the word seismos, which means a quake, a trembling eruption of sea and sky. He wrote, a great seismos arose on the lake. That term still occupies a spot in our vernacular. A seismologist, what does he do? He studies earthquakes. A seismograph measures them. And Matthew felt a seismos that shook him to the core. A storm that I would guess for Matthew wasn't too unlike what you and I are going through right now. Which is what makes the next line almost ridiculous. But Jesus was sleeping. But I like that. The whole thing was out of control. Seismos. But Jesus was sleeping, laying down, probably soaking wet, snoring. Matthew records that the disciples, well, they went to him and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And I'm, I'm guessing this wasn't a general nudging. Oh, Jesus, would you, you know, we don't want to bother you, Jesus. We know you're asleep. We want to disturb you. you got a little situation here. Mark, when he records this version, or when he records his version of this, he adds a little context to it. Here's how Mark says they woke him up. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown?" Jesus, don't you even care? And see, I I know that feeling today. You see what unexpected storms can do? It's not just fear. Fear is bad enough, but when you hit a storm like the one that we're in now, can you see how it can even get? the strongest of believers to begin to question the character of God. Jesus, do you even care? Which, of course, if I was Jesus and you just woke me up, first of all, I wouldn't be too happy. I had a good sleep going here. I might have a half a crank on, and then you, you hit me with a stupid question like that after all I've done for you. Do I care? And yet Jesus, he knows his boys. He knows what fear will do to us, and frustration is in his M.O. But in what would be funny if it wasn't such a horrific situation, he asks them what appears to be based on the situation to be a ridiculous question. He asks them in the situation, and maybe asks us, what might appear to be a ridiculous question. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Why are we so afraid, Jesus Jesus, do you see the storm? Do you see the waves? Jesus, do you see the wind? Do you see the cases mounting, the curve? It's not flattening. My 401K, it's plummeting. What do you mean, why are we so afraid? I can't go out of my house. My kids are driving me nuts. And and word on the street is tomorrow they're going to close. Bottle King, what do you mean, why am I so afraid? (laughs) I like this. Matthew says, then he got up. Then he got up. He was still laying down. You see, Jesus doesn't panic. God doesn't fret. He doesn't freak out. Your Savior does not lose it. See, we do. We panic, we fear, we see waves and storms, we see mortality rates go up and stock markets go down, and we get scared because we project about what's going to come next. But understand, God, who lives outside of the boundaries of time, for whom all things are neither past nor future, but for Him, they all exist in the glorious now, He doesn't panic. And I think Jesus wanted His disciples to see Him that way in the middle of the storm. And I can't help but think that maybe today in the middle of this storm, he wants you to see him that way too. We tend to just assume the worst. We run to dark places. Everything is out of control. All is lost. Not him. And then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. Some of my favorite writers, they all focus on this next question. They they focus on what happens next. Actually, in, in light of Jesus, he literally speaks to the forces of nature in front of them and stops them. And then the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Guys, enter the story. There is an element here for just a second of whoa. Whoa. I mean, I believed in this guy before. I followed him. I gave up stuff for him. I liked his teaching a lot. But whoa. If you really want to get a better feel for the question and the power of the moment and the realization about Jesus, the kind of realization about him that you and I need to get today. Here's how Mark recorded it. He didn't say they were amazed. He didn't say when he stopped the wind and re- rain, they were amazed. You know what he said? He said they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, before they were afraid, the storm made them afraid now knowing who they were in the boat with now understanding who he is what he's capable of now the storm doesn't seem all that scary in light of the guy that's in the boat with them the storm stopped but now they were more terrified over the power in the boat and guys, in that one moment when they saw God, when they saw Jesus for who He was just for a minute, it didn't last long in time. Their trust would, would, it would flee again. They would again look at their circumstances. But for a moment, they were able to take their eyes off of the storm when they understood who was in the boat with them. There was something that was much more powerful. Matthew goes on get back to the land. Jesus picks up the stories, telling them about the plan going forward. They had seen him. He had been healing the blind. He had just raised a young girl from the dead. And so he gathers the guys again together, same guys that had just been on the boat together. And he says, guys, now it's going to be your turn. I am going to send you out to do all of the things. I'm going to to give to you the power that I have. And you're going to go out and you're going to do the same things. But he warns them. He says, listen, you're going to come up against some storms when you get out there. There's a famous line. He goes, I'm sending you out as a sheep amongst wolves. But guys, when the storms come, when the rulers, the authorities, the principalities, when they all come against you, don't be afraid. He actually said it like this. He goes, don't be afraid of those who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid. He's going, guys, do you remember the boat? Do you remember how your fear shifted? He says, rather, be afraid of the one who could destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus doubles down on the boat lesson. Guys, don't be afraid of somebody that could kill you. There is someone much more powerful than that. There is something so much stronger than what you're afraid of. It's not that there's nothing to be afraid of. Jesus isn't being ignorant or playing Pollyanna. He goes, There's a pecking order to fear. You're fearing the wrong thing. Which sounds even scarier. I mean, heck, John, the virus is scary. The job loss is scary. And now you're telling me that Jesus is scarier? And Jesus explains in his very next line. He looks at them and he, I think he looks at you this morning. He goes, Guys, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Essentially, they have very little value. Yet none of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. Because to the ultimate power, the one you should fear... You don't need to be afraid because he knows you, and he loves you, and he's in charge of everything. If he knows the plight of the sparrows and he cares, you don't need to be afraid because he knows your plight, he knows your circumstances. He knows all about the virus. He knows all about the economy. He knows all about the canceled graduation. He knows all of it, and he's bigger and stronger than all of it. He's more powerful than all of these circumstances. The one who knows your situation, and he knows it, he cares. God knows, God cares. God knows, God cares. So don't be afraid. And so Jesus shows them his power again you know the story. Uh, They go out and after a long day of teaching, Jesus feeds 5,000 men, maybe 15,000, 20,000 people in total from a few uh, loaves and and a couple of fish. And what's interesting is the disciples were there. They've experienced all of these things. They just saw Jesus perform maybe his most, at least his most famous miracle. And as soon as it happens, and I mean right afterwards, the crowd's still sitting there. What does Jesus say to them? Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Guys, back in the boat. Back in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Why back in the boat? Because learning to not be afraid doesn't move easily from head to heart by sermons. Sometimes you need a good storm. Mark tells us that Jesus... I mean, this is almost kind of funny. He tells them to get in the boat, and this time without him. I can almost picture Jesus as he's going, well, I know what's going to happen here. We're going to see how you you guys do it. The Scripture doesn't say this, but I can almost see him pushing the boat out into the sea, sending them out on their little journey. Mark says he went up on the mountainside to pray and adds some details. He says later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land, Jesus. And Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. Jesus is watching them in the storm. He hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't forgot them. He's still watching all of them. But he waits until morning to go and get them because there's something about a storm that has an ability. It has an ability to teach people and disciples and followers and pastors a lesson about God and fear and trust. And what was their reaction? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were so brave. No. Same exact reaction as last time. They were terrified. Again, in the boat. Again, it's a ghost, they, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, "Take courage." It's I, don't be afraid. Guys, stop being afraid. I was hoping you would have gotten past this by now, but that's okay. That's why I sent you out here. Don't be afraid. Stop being scared. And so my guess is now, I mean, they've heard this a few times. So I think Peter, he starts to put two and two together. Oh, wait a minute. This is just like what happened last time. Impetuous Peter, he gets it and he cries out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Which I think is pretty amazing because if I was Peter, I would think that I would, knowing who he is and what he had done last time, I think I would cry out, Lord, make the storm stop. But he's been down this road before. And what I I love is that instead of asking Jesus to make the storm stop, in the middle of the storm, Peter says, Jesus, would would you use me to do something in the midst of this storm that I could never have done on my own? Because you're in the storm with me. Which might be something for us to be thinking about asking God right now. It's something I I need to be asking more of him. God, in the midst of this storm, I'm not just going to pray for it to be over. And I am praying for it to be over. But God, God, would you call me out of the boat? And would you call me to something that I could never do if you weren't here in the storm with me? You know what? You know how Jesus replies to that kind of prayer? Pretty simply, come, he said, come on. Peter got out of the boat. You know the story, and he walked on the water and he he came towards Jesus. Think about it for a moment. The greatest, most miraculous moment in Peter's life. Heck, in any human life, in human history, came not us, didn't happen on the the safety of the shore. It happened in the terror of the storm. Because in the storm, Peter didn't pray for the storm to pass. Peter prayed to get out of the boat and enter the storm because he understood the power of him who was outside of the boat. That's a prayer, that's an ask. But then here's the amazing part. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. He gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. Uh, This is actually really fascinating. And I know you've heard this before, but enter the story. He's walking on water, you guys. How is it really possible that you could be walking on water and suddenly be afraid of the wind? You're walking on water. To which uh, I would ask you this question Have you ever thought, you know, God, if you would just show up in my life, if you would just, if I could just hear your voice, God, or if God, if you would just show up so I could see you? Or maybe, God, if you would do something so miraculous, I mean so over the top, and answer my prayer in a certain way so I could clearly see this wasn't circumstantial. This had to be, this had to be God moving. So if I could see you and I could hear you and you would answer my prayer with such power and authority that I knew it wasn't the circumstances, then I would believe you and follow you. To which I think Peter might say, trust me, you won't. You'll believe in him for a moment like I did. But you know what happened to Peter? And you you know what's happening to me? And I think it might be happening to you right now. Peter forgot how far he'd already walked. He forgot where Jesus had already led him, what Jesus had already done. Not just on the shore, mind you. He had already walked on water, but his circumstances made him forget all of the places Jesus had already led him. And what's funny is Matthew says... Peter saw the wind. How do you see the wind? You can't see the wind. You can only see what the wind is doing. You see, the wind is an invisible enemy. He couldn't really see what threatened him. We really can't see what it is that's threatening us. All he could see was what it was doing all around him. All we can see is what it's doing all around us, and despite the fact that he had walked on water, he was afraid. Many of you know this, but the truth is simple. Peter walked on the water when he had his gaze, his eyes fixed on Jesus, when he knew where he was going and who was at the end. He got out of the boat because he remembered the power of God, but he sank in the storm when he focused on the wind. When he focused on what the wind was doing. This week, I'm telling you, this is a discovery I made this weekend. I have spent the whole week focusing on wind, 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 way too much. And some days I've been sinking. When I realized this this week as I studied my emotions, they're getting moved all over by the wind. You know, I read a good report. You know what, Joan? Things are gonna, aren't going to be that bad. This too shall pass. I think I'll open up the pool early this spring. We're all home anyway. It's going to be a wonderful couple of weeks of family time. I read a bad report. Oh my gosh, Joan, all is lost. They called out the National Guard. The markets are going to go down some more. We're never going to be able to buy that condo we've dreamed of in Del Boca Vista phase two. Joan does not need this from me. My kids don't need this from me. You don't need this from me. And our town doesn't need this from us. See, what I discovered this week, in the midst of this storm, is that I have to not be distracted by the effect of the unknown or the unseen enemy, by the effect of the wind. I got to keep focused on where I'm going, Who's calling me? Because nothing has changed. Look, I understand in some ways everything has changed, but we have to embrace what we've always said. If if somebody asked me three weeks ago, what are the most important things in my life? You know what I would have said? I would have said, uh, my God, my faith, my, my wife, my kids, my family, my friends, my church. And with every one of those things, church, nothing has changed. See, when I I get this right, when I stop letting the wind and what it's doing, when I stop setting my gaze off in those places, I experience immediately what Peter experienced. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Can you feel that? In that moment when you realize that God is bigger than all of this? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat, remember last time those that were in the boat? Last time those that were in the boat, they, they wondered, who is this man, was their question. This time, there was no more wondering. This time, they were pretty sure the scripture says, this time they worship him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Go to bed early the night before I'm going to speak. I was in bed early last night and I got up very early this morning as I do every week. And uh, this morning I picked up my phone and um, I got a message from my daughter, Courtney. We have a family tax. Everybody in the family is in it. And so everybody gets it and we all have fun together with those things, and here's what Courtney wrote last night. She said, hey, as I sit on my deck and really reflect and focus on God, I, I had some thoughts. Let's all use this time to really push into God. There's something to be said about finding light in the dark. This is dark, and let's look for the light. What a positive way we could look at it. We could grow closer to God than ever before. That's powerful, and I know I want that connection now more than ever. Let's have faith, keep following, and grow together. And she concluded this way. My people, exclamation point, I love you all. My people, I love you all. You're stronger than this storm. We'll be stronger together when it's all over. But this week, I'm going to be praying that you would have the understanding that the one who is in the boat with you is to be much more feared than the storm that's around you. May your awe of him give you more confidence in him than fear of the storm around you. May you understand that that man who still commands the storm and the seas, he knows not just your name, but he knows every hair on your head. May you, as your courage grows, ask not just for the storm to pass, but may you ask to get out of the boat and walk in it. And may we all conclude together, maybe at a a depth and at a level we never have before, that truly this man is the Son of God. That's my prayer for you, Mendham. I'll see you on Wednesday night.